Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, I am obviously your host, Blaine Bartlett. Um, you know, in the midst of this pandemic, uh, and I'm you know, saying this just, uh, most of these shows are green, you know, greenfield in the sense that they've got a long lifespan on it, but this has been around and it's going to be around for a while. And I wanted to have on the show today, somebody that is actually on the forefront of a lot of work being done in addressing how healthcare is addressing um, uh, the COVID uh, pandemic, both in the U.S., but also uh, globally. Uh, Peter Angood is my guest today, and he's the CEO of the American Association for Physician Leadership. And you know, Peter's been in, the, in that role for 10 years. And I've been fortunate enough, uh, in full disclosure, I've been fortunate enough to be, uh, to be part of the faculty of uh, the American Association of Physician Leadership uh, for a number of years now. And I've gotten to know Peter fairly well, uh, well enough to call him a friend. So, uh, Peter, I just want to welcome you to the show and I uh, look forward to this conversation. Well, thank you, Blaine. It's a privilege to be with you. And uh, yeah, it's actually been a privilege to have you as part of our faculty for many years. And uh, it's been very enjoyable to get to know you as well as a friend. And, you know, your ongoing initiatives and efforts are very uh, strong contributors to the whole field of leadership. So I look forward to the conversation. Well, thank you for saying so. I appreciate that. <laughs> now, let's just kind of just do, before I get into the question I typically ask at the beginning of this thing, um, what is the AAPL, American Association for Physician Leadership? Because it's not a new organization. It has got some 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 beard to it. It's been around for a long sure. time. Yeah. So, well, um, you know, as its title implies, it's got something to do with physician leadership, right? And uh, even though it's an American association, uh, it's an international organization. It has been around a little over 45 years. It uh, originated with uh, a focus predominantly on mid-career physicians who wanted to go into management roles inside of hospitals. And, uh, and still true to this day, uh, when you go through medical school or you go through your specialty training and even through the early stages of your career, in healthcare and in the physician world in particular, you get zero exposure to leadership. You get zero exposure to, to management. So our organization over its 45 plus years has wound up being the, um, not just national, but uh, internationally, the dominant organization as a bridge type organization to provide the full spectrum of services and programs and products related to uh, leadership and management for physicians, and uh, gradually we'll do more in other professions as well. But, but that's the essence of it. It started out as an education enterprise, but now it, it really is focused uh, 
on the full spectrum of, as I say, programs, products, and services around leadership and management. And not just for the individuals, Blaine, we're also recognizing that institutions where physicians practice uh, really need a lot of assistance on how to better uh, work with the medical staff and the physician workforces, because historically, um, that's been an interesting relationship. And as we move along in healthcare as an industry, uh, institutions and organizations need some help. So we do that too. Yeah, yeah. And you do it quite well, I might add. Yeah, just well, you know, we hope so. in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, healthcare obviously is uh, uh, on the forefront of a lot of things right now, and there's such stress in the system. Uh, and I'm going to use that stress in the system as kind of a preface to a question here around the soul of business, the soul of healthcare, I guess, more than anything else. So when you hear the term "the soul of business," what does that evoke for you? What does that bring up for you? Yeah, you know, well, inherently, healthcare is uh, a very complex industry as a whole, far more so than many other industry types. And we can get into some of the details of that uh, as we move along here. But the essence of healthcare is still trying to help people, folks like you and I, but all types of people, uh, not only remain healthy, but certainly to help them when they get ill. And so the soul of healthcare is really that altruism and caring for other people. And one of the pivotal aspects of that soul, and it still drives healthcare um, predominantly today, is that patient-physician relationship. And it's that altruistic trust that comes in uh, between that relationship of those individuals and that caring and altruistic approach to me, that's the soul of healthcare, and yeah. it, it it really is um, for a lot of folks uh, difficult as an industry because it's complicated as an industry. But it's difficult to stay uh, focused on that soul piece, to use your term. Yeah, yeah, and and that's one of the reasons I wanted to just kind of get your take on that because in my experience in the hospital systems I've worked with, with projects that I've been associated with APL. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. and, delivering different educational uh, platform uh, programs, the complexity, I mean, and and to your point, I mean, it is probably one of the most complex uh, systems, uh, not not just industries, but one of the most complex systems I've ever uh, stepped into. I mean, it's mind boggling in the complexity. And And then you add on top of that the layering of complexity of, of medical care itself. You know, you know, take out of it you know, all of the regulations and everything that kind of go into it. But how do you attend to a an, an ill patient? Uh, the leadership component comes into play here um, very strongly because, you know, and we've talked about this. You know, my definition of leadership is co-creating coordinated movement, right. and in complex systems, yeah. that becomes absolutely you know you know, the, the litmus test for how well I'm doing as a leader. With today's pandemic, you know, what are some of the challenges that you find that physician leaders or that leadership just generally in the healthcare space uh, is really wrestling with it is actually kind of, you know, un, uh, what's the word I'd use here? It, it's actually new. I mean, it, it, it's appeared in the last 18 months and it's something that's blindsided uh, leaders in a way that they weren't expecting. Yep. Let me uh, come at this one a couple of ways here. Um, 
you know, my clinical background is as a surgeon and I spent 25 years doing uh, trauma surgery, which is uh, not emergency medicine, but it's, it's the high, high end, uh, highly acute uh, stuff. And I've always said during that time, the best and fastest way to get into a hospital and looked after well is to get yourself into a bad car wreck because you're going to get into that uh, hospital and taken care of uh, very quickly, very efficiently, and you'll you'll get top of top of line care. And so, what the pandemic is uh, for those places for the folks that are very sick, they're getting good care. They're getting in through the emergency departments. They're getting into the ICUs. They're getting their diagnoses. They're getting on ventilators, and the dedicated uh, staff of nurses, physicians, pharmacists, all the ancillary providers are really on that kind of mode of let's provide the best care for this emergency. Um, but they're getting worn out, as we all know, as we all know. Mm-hmm. And um, so the leadership piece um, has a couple of levels in here as well. The, uh, when institutions are highly stressed for whatever, an environmental disaster, some kind of industry disaster, whatever, the administration of an institution oftentimes will defer to the clinical leaders to just let them provide that care in those high acute settings. And so we've seen a lot of that uh, across the country and around the world where the administrators, yes, they've helped to form uh, crisis action teams, but the leaders of those crisis action teams are usually physicians or physician and nurse teams. And the other administrators come in and try to help out with the supply chain issues and coordinating other aspects of care and all those types of things. Um, and that, that's good because what we've been recognizing over the last number of years actually is when you have physicians who are well uh, exposed and educated and experienced with leadership and management, typically those institutions, those organizations will perform better as long as those mm-hmm. uh, physicians are able to um, create that influence that they have been prepared for. And so a lot of that is, well, how do you work with others? How do you work with other clinical leaders? How do you work with non-clinical leaders? And how do you exert the influence? Um, not unlike the definition you, you brought forward at the beginning of, of the conversation here. Now, yeah. let me take it a step further, though, <clears throat> because uh, I want to highlight just how complex this industry by giving us some numbers that you won't see in any other industry. In this country, the United States, we're approaching uh, $4 trillion as an industry. It consumes about a quarter of the federal government's uh, budget, highest percentage of any other aspect of the federal government. It's well recognized there's about 25 to 30% waste and inefficiency in the system. Roughly 20 to 25% of uh, the dollar is just going to support the financial aspects of the industry. And we carry a 10 to 15% major error rate. Just think of those numbers for a moment, Blaine. Just think of those numbers. And wow. so, yeah, can you think yeah, of any other industry? Wow, what, what industry would tolerate that, right? None. Yeah. <laughs> and yet, yeah. It's not like there's a bunch of bad people in here. We're all working hard trying to make it better. 
And we all know it's got to get better, but the inherent complexity of the systems, the processes, and the slow um, approach of creating lasting change is difficult. So now you've got this acute pandemic on that inherently complex system being stressed out. We're seeing good things happen, but we've got a paradox. And then I'll, I'll turn it back to you, but we've got a paradox. We've got places, especially now I saw a number today, uh, of the acute cases going on with the pandemic, 98.8% of them are the Delta variant now. Yeah. So we've got the Delta variant pushing us along. And so we're seeing a swell of utilization going on again. And yet the paradox here, you've got a lot of other aspects of the industry are underutilized because we're over preoccupied with the pandemic. So you've right. got and excess utilization and underutilization. And so you you got to, how do you lead and manage through that stuff, right? And how do you survive financially? Yeah, and that's an interesting question because I, you know, I'm working with a couple of different hospital systems right now where elective procedures have just literally, which is the bread and butter for many hospitals yeah, uh, systems. And you know, the beds are full with ICU uh, COVID patients and it's yeah. overflowing. So that, that you know, the, the question of leadership, it's not one size fits all. I mean, certainly, mm -hmm. I mean, I know that you're familiar with this and leading in an OR is different than leading in a clinic, which is different than leading in the, uh, the senior staff room when you're sitting down with a CMO right. and a CNO. And, you know. um, yeah. what, what are some of the trends that you're seeing in healthcare relative to, I mean, you know, that, 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 that rubric of leadership not being one size fits all and a physician leader having to wear a number of different hats because they will be in the OR, they will be in the clinical environment, they will be sitting around a table with their peers. Um, what, what's going on there from your perspective, trend-wise, yeah. I mean, very generally? Yeah, yeah. well, you know, I mean, we're starting to see some shifts in the medical schools uh, exposing folks to at least recognizing leadership and management is important as they move forward. And at the grassroots level, the students themselves say, hey, look, I need this stuff. Uh, how come I can't find it anywhere? Yeah. So there's an increased awareness of the need for this type of uh, leadership and management exposure. But at the end of the day, however, still physicians are trained to be autonomous, independent thinkers. They mm -hmm. are taught to learn all they can about the biology and the bad biology they are taught to uh, evaluate the details and to look at uh, a variety of diagnoses and then to make decisions and give orders, right? Make decisions, give orders, make decisions, give orders. And <laughs> so, and well, yeah, hey, I was like command and control. <laughs> for me, right? <laughs> yeah. Command and control. Diagnosis <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, I like yeah. this stuff. I say it, they do it. Yeah, but so there's this awareness coming out that it, that doesn't work all of the time. And historically, actually, hospitals and delivery systems catered to the physician population. That's just kind of how healthcare evolved in the last uh, number of um, decades. You know, that has shifted. And so the physicians and the medical staff are less angry about that shift in the relationship than they were 20, 30 years ago. So they're recognizing they've got to work better with others. And similarly, the other uh, disciplines, clinical and non-clinical, are still recognizing, darn, we really need these physicians and we got to keep them engaged. We got to keep them organized. We got to keep them there. So how do we work better with them 
So this collaborative spirit is uh, gradually emerging, which is healthy and it's good. And yeah. so to, to your question, I, I think um, all disciplines, all professions are recognizing, hey, we got to collaborate better. How can we do that? And so, yes, there's an acute uh, trauma going on and you need the command and control thing going. But then when you sit down and debrief and do quality improvement on that same case, it's collaborative. And then when you sit and go to the C-suite and say, you know, we've had a number of cases of such and such and the quality issues are such and such, help us change the system. That's collaboration all the way across, right? All, all so, the way across, yeah. So fortunately, we're getting there. Our organization is heavily focused on that. And in fact, you know, you've probably seen that one of our courses are, so you're not a physician leader anymore. You know, you got to be part of the team. So, so that's good. Yeah. That's healthy. And, you know, with that collaborative spirit and, and better engagement across professions, uh, we will better address a lot of those systems complexities that we talked about earlier. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I, I gave a TED talk not too long ago, South Lake Tahoe. Uh, it's going to be up on the TED platform here uh, next month. Okay. Um, but the metaphor that I was working with was nature is the ultimate business guru. And I was mm -hmm. using nature very specifically because everything right. overlaps. There is nothing that is not interconnected. You know, John Muir, uh, the naturalist at one point in time said, if you pick up any piece of nature, you will soon realize that it's connected to every other piece of nature. Yeah. And yeah, healthcare is like that, I think, because you know, it, it's a living, breathing, organistic sort of a, a system. And mm -hmm. in my experience, uh, it's been, and I'm certain that this is also part of your uh, history, historical experience with it. It's you know, because there's so much uh, around specialties. It has become, you know, it became siloed to a very right. interesting degree. And that lack of collaboration across those silos became you know, partly why we have some of these statistics that you cited a little bit ago. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm planting that uh, comment you know, right here, right now, because we're going to take a brief break. When I come back, what I want to do is take a look with you about some of the uh, emerging trends that you're seeing. And we started to talk about that a little bit, but not just in the U.S. in healthcare, but internationally in healthcare. And I think the pandemic is becoming kind of a catalyst for some of the things that can be very uh, generative you know, down the road here. At least that's an assumption I'm making, and I want to check that out with you. So sure. we're going to take a real quick break, then we'll be back. Uh, my guest today, Peter Anglid, the CEO of AAPL, the American Association for Physician Leaders. I want to thank you for listening. Um, I want to also invite you right now to go to blainebartlett.com. And on that site, which is my personal website, you'll see uh, services up on the top menu. I'd like you to click on Leadership Mastermind. Now, why I want you to do that is we have uh, structured a mastermind program that is very unusual and it is very powerful. And by going onto that site and clicking that link, you'll be taken to a landing page that is an invitation to join this mastermind. It's a 52 week long exploration of what it takes to be a highly effective leader in today's fast changing environment. You won't regret it. And if you've been liking what you've been listening to on these Soul of Business podcasts, how does one become a leader that can keep connection to the soul of business? That's what we look at. That's what we're about. 
in this mastermind program. So again, go to blainebartlett.com and click on the services link. And there you'll find the link to the Leadership Mastermind program. Look forward to seeing you there. Thanks for listening to this little commercial. And now back to our show. Welcome back. And like I said before, we took the break. I'm sitting here with Peter Angood, the uh, CEO of the American Association for Physician Leaders. And just before our break, uh, I you know, was you know, beginning to plan a, a little platform here for us to explore some things around uh, in terms of trending uh, in indices uh, in healthcare in general, but leadership in healthcare uh, more specifically and very granularly, just kind of the international impact of uh, the pandemic on how healthcare is approached and delivered. Uh, and APL, although it's an American association, as you mentioned right at the beginning, it is international in its reach. So what are you seeing out there right now um, in terms of, you know, you know is, is it a, <laughs> is it a, the end of the tunnel or is there a train coming at us? Yeah. You know, I had the good fortune of uh, interviewing uh, Anthony Fauci a couple of weeks back, um, our main lead NIH person on the pandemic. And uh, as we were having our conversation, he was making the point that um, we are not finished with this pandemic. In, in fact, the train is still coming. And, um, you know, we have to continue to be diligent in our public health approaches in order to better manage this pandemic. And, you know, it's predominantly an aerosol-based infection. And so wearing of the masks is still critically important. Uh, personal hygiene, hand washing, obviously, uh, just a, a basic standard of care. And then uh, the vaccinations, while it's a highly sensitive topic in this country, uh, vaccination is still kind of uh, the preferred route. And uh, as we know, there's a bit of a debate now, should we get boosters on uh, the existing vaccines? Not every country has got high penetration of vaccination rates. So it's not unique to the United States. Um, and even those countries with higher penetration of the vaccine rates, uh, they're starting to see degradation of the vaccines, increasing infections, all those types of things. So one of the, uh, and this is not new to healthcare, it's a public health issue, it's global health right. issues, and that's the disparity of distribution of resources. And uh, so the poorer countries still are sitting there with, you know, less than 2% vaccination rate and uh, distribution of the vaccines within a country is horribly uh, scattered all over the place and not organized or controlled. Um, it's an interesting, you, you probably picked up on it in the last little bit as well. The World Health Organization is saying, you know, stop debating about the vaccine boosters. We still need the primary vaccines to get out to the rest of the world, you folks. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so healthcare, um, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of the same recurring issues. The pandemic and this virus is highlighting them up for everybody to see and actually to everybody to feel it themselves because it's, it's getting us all, right? Whether you choose to wear your mask and get vaccinated or whether you choose to not wear your mask and not get vaccinated, we're all seeing both sides of that equation all the time. And yeah. uh, we're able to put it in the context of there, this is a global thing. So internationally for us, um, 
you know, we've, we've always got members in 40 or so different countries at any one time. And what we're hearing from different folks is uh, it's, it's the supply chain, it's the dissemination, it's the access, and it's getting the, the proper care for people to really get better um, outcomes overall. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, it's highlighting the inequities of public health. It's highlighting up the uh, common term that you, you hear all the time, the social determinants of health. That's kind of yeah. things like access and proper nutrition and all those sorts of things. So um, as we look at our numbers, uh, those who have poor uh, elements in the social determinants of health, they're having worse outcomes with, with the um, pandemic and the in, inability to get access um, or they choose not to because they're suspicious of our healthcare system, right? They're suspicious. Yeah. And so, so how do you overcome those kinds of things as well? Yeah. Yeah. The, again, I go back to my definition of leadership, co-creating coordinated movement. How, how, mm-hmm. how, how do physicians in particular, because this is you know, who your constituency is primarily, mm-hmm. how do physicians actually get in front of that distrust Right. Yeah. I mean, that, yeah, whether it's, you know, the family practitioner that's sitting with somebody or mm-hmm. yeah, uh, a might, physician leader and you know, a chief medical officer in a, in a large system, how do you get in front of that trust as a leader to co-create coordinated movement rather than division? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. And, and your catchphrase <laughs> is, is really important. And I'll drive it back to the beginning of our conversation. And, and that is to leverage that altruism and to further leverage that patient-physician relationship, because it's not just the healthcare system that expects that patient-physician relationship to be the driver, but patients by and large, regardless of the socioeconomic uh, setting, will want to rely on their physicians to give them their advice or to help them with their decision-making. You know, I always come back, a very brief uh, anecdote here, not an anecdote, just a sideline. You know, I did this trauma surgery thing for many, many years, and therefore I operated on a lot of badass criminals. Mm-hmm. When they were almost dying, they were pretty nice people. They were pretty nice people, Blaine, because they realized they didn't want to yet die. And so how do we leverage that trust that the general public and most people place on physicians yeah. in recognizing, I, I want some more information? If, and even if I don't want it, but they start talking to me, uh, I'll listen to them. And so the physicians need to get back to that. Uh, and you've heard me say this before, all physicians are leaders at some level. So how do, we get, how do we get those physicians to assume that responsibility of leadership to then get that message and leverage their altruism themselves and leverage that relationship to create the change? And, uh, you know, there's a couple of stories out there of, uh, family physicians going door to door in their neighborhood in their catchment area and saying, get the darn vaccine folks. Yeah. They've got to figure yeah. out. <laughs> Leverage. The, I, mean, I was talking to somebody the other day and I, I, you know, part of my bias is that all any organization is, is a, a collection of people that are in a relationship. That, yep. That's yeah, any organization. Yeah, and the obvious is the interpersonal. Uh, that's the tip of the iceberg. But you know, relationship with values, relationship with uh, the vision of the organization, the, you know, the relationship with fill in the blank. You know, anything that the organization actually presents, there's a relationship quality to it. And 
the assumption on that phrasing is that I need to work to develop a healthy relationship. Mm-hmm. And what's interesting in this conversation I had with this fellow, you know, he kind of pushed back on me a little bit on that. And I really appreciate it because he said, you know, you're not going to get a healthy relationship unless you've got a solid foundation of trust. So you, you need to have the focus on the building the trust first before you can ever hope to have a kumbaya relationship. And if you're looking at a kumbaya relationship, you probably haven't paid attention to the trust aspect. You're just looking to be liked. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, so that, that doesn't work. And, and so this morning in my shower, when I was, when I was thinking, you know, and this is me on my soapbox here, but um, I was thinking of just about the, you know, and I don't want to get into a whole political side, you know, sidebar no. on this, but uh, if, if anybody that's in a position of power, whether it's a politician, whether it's a medical practitioner, whatever, if they weren't concerned with their job, if they weren't concerned about staying in position, what would they do with this pandemic? What would, you know, what, what would they be presenting and how would they go about doing it? And trust seems to be, to me, the, the, the foundation on which they would have to stand if they weren't concerned about their position. They were just doing what they thought was right. Now, that's, that's my, that's my, and there's not a question embedded in that. <laughs> that's that's me using the But yeah, and where I where I would take this, uh, just in terms of actually framing the question, burnout is part of the equation in the in healthcare right now, particularly amongst the physician and the nurses. Uh, yeah. I mean, just anybody associated with this. And as far as I can tell, burnout. Yeah, most people would attribute it to working too hard, long hours, all that kind of stuff. And you and I both have had experience where I've just worked, you know, incredibly long hours and walked away feeling really invigorated. Yeah. And what yeah. made that possible was I actually, I, I was connected to a valued for the sake of what? Mm-hmm. Uh, a value, you know, that altruistic piece. I'm seeing a lot of burnout in the systems in which I'm working right now. And the folks that I talk to, they feel disconnected to their ability to be you know, in the front, in front of that altruistic dynamic, or even connected to that altruistic idea anymore, right. because right. there is so much noise in the system. And this would be my last question for you around this, you know, as a trend, what are you seeing physicians paying attention to? What are you seeing administrators and leaders paying attention to that enables people in the systems to stay connected to that altruistic piece that actually gives healthcare its soul. Yeah. You know, I wish I had a really sweet answer for you and we could really yeah, yeah. feel good about it. I wish you did too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. You know, um, Unfortunately, you know, healthcare is just a wonderful, wonderful profession to be in because it is deeply personal and you're helping people and you see results and, and people are appreciative and they trust you. And, you know, every nurse, every physician, every pharmacist has got stories of, you know, how some patient made them feel better because they helped them. Uh, I haven't been clinical for almost 15 years, but I've still got warm thoughts of people from my early years and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And, and the workforce is not getting enough of that anymore. And, yeah. you know, it's their altruism, their idealism, their caring, kind people. And as we were saying earlier, it's that complexity of the systems and processes that have leaked in to this industry that 
to some degree prevent them from doing that. And to answer your question, you know, we talk a lot about uh, patient-centered care, and some folks are call, now calling it person-centered care. And actually, I take the opposite direction. I think person-centered care is the most disruptive force in healthcare right now because we don't know how to do it. Yeah. We talk uh, about absolutely. it, but yeah. we don't know how to do it. So it's disrupting do do it. us. Um, and so the trend really is to how do we get to truly fix the systems and really gradually do that so that we can maintain um, the bit of wellness that we have in the workforce, but how do we reattain that pride, that professionalism, that sense of awe and wonder about being a healthcare provider. And whether you're a non-clinical administrator or a clinical leader, um, you want to help others in your workforce regain that sense of pride, that sense of professionalism, and just that sense of beauty of helping others. That's That's what we get uh, we can talk telehealth, we can talk value-based care, we can talk all sorts of other catch words, but I think I was hitting more what's more important than that stuff. Yeah, I, I love that word beauty. You know, Buckminster Fuller years ago said that I, you know, when I'm designing a solution to a problem, I, you know, beauty doesn't come to mind for me while I'm in the midst of doing it. But at the end of the day, if my solution isn't beautiful, it's likely not the right solution. Right. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, and beauty being an expression of that inner spirit. Yeah, when Absolutely. that inner spirit is yeah. tapped into, it's a beautiful sunset. It's 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 just magnificent. So, yeah. Peter, I'm going to close off here with a question for you, just because uh, I, I, I I've gotten to know you, and I know that you you know you've actually you know you answer this question just through your your beingness. But how are you leaving it better than you found it? You know. Um... It's interesting. Careers are fascinating. I never for a moment ever thought I'd be an association leader. And, you know, I was privileged to inherit this organization about a decade ago. Uh, We've transformed it in a whole variety of ways. And I think what we are trying to capitalize on and successfully, although it's a gradual process, is to better elevate the role of physician leadership uh, and to help individuals uh, as physicians appreciate physician leadership is better to help other professions in the industry better appreciate the importance and the critical nature of physician leadership. And that will gradually continue to expand how organizations better integrate physician leadership into their practices. And then finally, you know, we're, we're gradually expanding our activities internationally. And there's only about a dozen countries out there that do anything near to what we do, Blaine. And of those, they all look to us as the leaders of physician leadership. And so how do we continue to leverage that? So it's, it's just been a wonderful uh, decade. And I think we've made some big, big changes. And we just keep living to that moniker. All physicians are leaders at some level. And ultimately, what we're up to do is trying to create significant large-scale change in healthcare by leveraging the platform of physician leadership. So thank you. There you go. Absolutely. Thank you. My guest today, Peter Angood, CEO, American Association for Physician Leadership. Peter, 
Love talking with you. I've never had a bad conversation with you, you know, whether it's over a glass of wine or whether it's via, via Zoom. <laughs> I just appreciate Likewise, you. Doing <laughs> yeah, it's, all, it's always a pleasure. I always learn lots and uh, I always appreciate the depth of thought and uh, intellectual uh, challenge that you put into your thinking. So thank you uh, for today. Thank you for saying so. You've been listening to The Soul of Business with Blaine Bartlett. Um, Go to my website, blainebartlett.com. Uh, there's a number of resources there that you can uh, you know, check out uh, in terms of uh, developing your own le uh, leadership expertise and, and whatnot. Um, and until we have our next uh, time together, I want to just thank you for listening and have a great rest of your week. Take care. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.